Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Howdy. Thank you so much for downloading another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter and the founder of aggrad.com that connects students and young professionals to hiring agribusinesses. Well, we are rapidly approaching the end of the year 2016 right now as I record this. And it is a good time for reflection over the past year and sort of anticipation of what is to come in the year 2017. I have been thinking a lot about this podcast and ag grad in general and really excited about the potential we have in some of the strategic objectives that we will be rolling out here in the coming year. What have you got going on in 2017? I would love to communicate with you on Twitter. Just tweet me at Tim Hammerich, continue the conversation, or you can always join our Facebook group just in Facebook, search for AgGrad Social and join us there. Always got something going on in that Facebook group as well as on Twitter. So look forward to keeping the conversation going with you. As we look to 2017, we still do not know who will be our next U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. And it's not every day on this podcast, at least, that we can say we have a guest on that is on the short list for the next Secretary of Agriculture of the U.S. That's right, the Secretary of Agriculture. Now, he will tell you in this interview that there are a lot of people on that short list, and maybe it's not so short, but his name has, become, has been coming up very often for that top role in President-elect Trump's cabinet. So whether or not he ends up being the Secretary of Agriculture, he will definitely play an integral role in the leadership of our industry, whether that's from his home in Indiana, South America, where he also owns farm ground and consults, or in Washington, D.C. It is such an honor to have him on the podcast because he brings with him decades of experience in agribusiness management, as well as consulting and, and even holding some leadership offices. Kip Tom is his name. His company is Tom Farms and Saraserve Inc. He left daily operations of the farm this past year to run for office. Even though that didn't work out, he has made his mark on agriculture as a whole and continues to contribute with a variety of different leadership roles and boards. He was very kind enough in this extremely busy time for him to take just a few minutes to talk to me. If I, if I remember right, he was on his way to the airport in Chicago. So uh, very kind of Kip to take some time to talk to the Future of Agriculture podcast. He's always been someone willing to give back to young people entering the industry. And we even touch a little bit on that in the interview. So enjoy this interview with Kip Tom of Tom Farms. Kip Tom of Tom Farms and Saraserve Inc. on the podcast today. Kip, thank you so much for taking time for us. I appreciate the opportunity to have a few moments of time with you here. Well, you've been able to scale your farming operation now to be internationally. Could you just talk to us a little bit about in a commodity market such as farming, what's allowed you to sort of differentiate yourself to grow your business? Well, I think there's a number of things going on. You know, we think just about the framework of our own business and a family business. and It's always going to remain that way, even though we have a lot of people want to talk about corporate agriculture is taking over uh, 
the industry. The reality is family farms will continue to flourish and still be the majority share of how we produce the food, fiber, and energy that we produce here in this country. So we have a family business. I'm very fortunate to have two sons, a daughter, and a sister. My, my parents are still around today. And then a great young team of uh, young people that are growing our business and assuring that it will be sustainable into the future. There are some unique features about our business. We've tried to vertically integrate a little further into the, uh, the supply chain of agriculture, getting a little bit closer to the end user. We're looking at some good value-add opportunities at this point in time. Also looking to be turning our business into more of an integrator, handing on some of the specialty grain and specialty product to other producers throughout the Midwest. So a little bit of a unique uh, business model in agriculture, but one that looks like it might be flourishing a little bit stronger in Midwest, especially in the coarse grain and the oil seeds. So as well as today, we're a producer of seed for Monsanto hybrids here in the United States. And then we've got a smaller business unit that produces seed in Argentina for Pioneer. So a farm with some diversity, and we want to make sure we're positioned that this seventh generation farm can continue on to generations into the future. Great. And a lot of interesting aspects in there that I want to follow up on. First and foremost, in that in that kind of family-focused team structure, what's your role in the day-to-day operations? So last year in September, I stepped away from the business, ran for U.S. Congress. And uh, on our May 3rd primary, uh, it was a six-person uh, race for the Republican congressional seat here in the 3rd District in Indiana. I was notched out by two points, and so it was a close race. But nonetheless, that took me away from the business from September to May. And But that just didn't happen without a lot of effort. Uh, for the past nine years, we've been working with an individual, Lance Woodbury is his name. He helps with family succession planning. And so we were prepared for me to step away from the farm, a place I've been for the last 42 years of my life. So if I can tell you it was easy for me, I would not be telling you the truth. It was very difficult for me to do that. But yet at the same time, I think the success that's occurred since my departure from the day-to-day operations is evident. But I still play a role on strategy and uh, seeking value-add opportunities at the same time. So it, it is working. But I stressed of so many farmers, if there's one thing you do, you work towards doing some succession planning to prepare that next generation to grow your business and to sustain it. And, and the work you're doing now since you've left the, the day-to-day operations in you know farm ag- advocacy and in the political sphere, is that where you think you'll, you'll spend your time for the foreseeable future? Well, we'll see. Uh, there's a number of things going on right now. I'm very, obviously very passionate about the industry. I want to see that the future in ag policy and the way it shapes the way we run our farms that, you know, we still allow innovation to help us feed that growing global population. Let's face it, we got a hungry world out there. We know we need to double the world's food supply and we're going to have to have innovation and it's going to come right back to the farm. And we need to make sure that we have policy. It doesn't stand in our way of meeting uh, the consumer demands around the world. And Hopefully, uh, I can have the opportunity to play a role in shaping some of that policy as we go forward here over the next few years. Great. And I, I think it's pretty widely publicized that you have been on the short list for President-elect Trump's uh, Secretary of Agriculture. If, if you end up being asked to be in that role, what would be your focus there coming in in that, in that job? 
Well, first of all, there's a lot of great, talented people that are on that short list. And, you know, no one knows at this stage yet who it will be. But I think one thing's for certain. You know, Mike Pence, vice president-elect, governor of Indiana, I've been around him uh, for quite some time, and he's been a big advocate of agriculture and, and helping agriculture grow and what it contributes to our economy and trade across the world. And so I think Mike and the transition team are going to work really hard to try to find people who are willing to innovate, willing to find somebody that's going to run the USDA and make sure that we can have systems in place, make sure that we don't have too much regulatory burden that's unsensible, and making sure that we play our role with the resources we have in this country to uh, be an effective part of our economy here in the U.S., at the same time uh, meeting those global demands. So, I think you may see somewhat of some different programs. I think it's time we start to innovate and make sure that we get out of the way of the American producer and let them do what they do best, and that's grow a crop, grow the animals that produce the protein that feed that hungry world. So I'm excited about the future, and I'm excited about the people who are making the choices of who will lead the agriculture at the USDA. Yeah, it's very very comforting to hear You know, the commitment to agriculture there of people in those elected positions, you mentioned that the farmer and rancher producing the crops and, and the meat that, that we eat. What do you see as one of the biggest challenges facing our producers currently? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I just attended the Chicago Fed meeting on agriculture a week ago today. And, and since back in the 20s, we have never had a period of time where basically every major commodity group was in negative territory on margins at this time. You look at poultry, you look at eggs, you look at certainly the crops, you look at a lot of different produce and vegetables. There's a lot of negative margins, a lot of red ink being printed right now on today's farms. So I think it's important that we have a farm bill that supports and helps us with our risk management. But at the same time, we need to really take a hard look at how regulations impact us. So I think we need to look at the Food Modernization and Safety Act some of the things that are taking place there today that are inhibiting our ability to really expand our production like we need to. Or in the case of what's going on at the EPA with the waters of the U.S., WOTUS, as it's known, uh, how that could impact us. And I think we've got a president, we've got an administration, and I hope we get some uh, leadership, whether it's at the EPA, USDA, Food and Drug Administration, that really allows us to continue to get business back to normal, and where we can grow business and grow our economy and create jobs. So that's one of my focuses, and I know that's the focus of this administration, and I certainly wish them success along that way. Fantastic. And one of my priorities, you know, being a recruiter, uh, doing a lot of young professional and college recruiting in agriculture is how do we bring young people into production agriculture with the, with the huge barriers to entry and cost? What ideas do you have of ways that we can get young people interested in farming? Well, let's face it, the, far, the American farmer continues to get older and older as we go along here. Uh, I'm 61. I think I'm somewhere in the, what they would classify as the average age of a farmer. And let's face it, over time, we've mechanized the industry more and more so we can get less, we can get more done with less people in, in production agriculture. There's going to be significant needs as we transition some of these family businesses to the next generation for people with some good skills to come back to those farms. But I, I think we need to understand we have, need to have a broader focus. 
We need to focus on, we need people in food science. We need people that can get involved in the different crop sciences. We need to get people involved in genetics, some of that research, some of the new technologies that are unfolding there today. There are plenty of opportunities inside of agriculture. We just need to look in different places where to find them. So the talent sets, the kind of skills we're looking for today are much different than what they were 5, 10, 20 years ago. I look at uh, what we're doing on the farm and the way we can apply data science in our ability to increase productivity. And my belief is that the people run our farms in the future is going to be much different than what we have today. So I encourage education. I encourage people to uh, get a broad skill set and make sure that they're prepared to meet 21st century demands in food production. And like I said, it's not all about owning acreage and owning a tractor. It's about controlling production, having input to how it's done. So there's a vast need for young people to come into the industry. And uh, we certainly uh, are seeing some encouraging signs that there's a little more interest to get involved at some of our land grants across the country and get that education to make sure they can come back to agriculture and deliver on the need that we have. As I've read about and, and sort of studied Tom Farms you all are, are very well known in the industry for adopting new technology and kind of staying on, on the cutting edge. And you mentioned the data science there in that answer. Another thing you've done very well is tell your story. I, I noticed you've got over 21,000 followers on Instagram. What, what value or impact does that have on your business when you're able to tell your story like that? Well, I tell you what, there's a lot of farms with great stories that they're not being told. So one thing I would encourage producers, there's many people who have stories as good or many better than ours, I'm sure. And I just think it's good for people to get out there and talk about the exciting things that are going on within the industry. You know, the, how we apply data science and how we run our farms. We have the ways to show how we're protecting the environment with use of cover crops, with some of the things we're doing and the way we apply fertilizer, how we're lessening our carbon footprint, how we're assuring that the resources that we're given to use, we're sustaining them and actually improving them so we can help to feed generations into the future. So, We've got a tool available to us today that we didn't have before, and that's social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram. And by the way, I didn't realize we had that many followers on Instagram. I, my daughter takes care of a lot of that, Cassie. But the reality is farmers need to start talking about the great story we have to tell and try to promote it out there. It's interesting. Some of the followers we have and people we get in contact with, typically we think they're always in your own home community. But you can all of a sudden start reaching people uh, across the globe and in a lot of urban areas in this country that start to understand, hey, you know, what we're doing in agriculture is providing a, an affordable and efficient, nutritional and sustainable supply of food to us. And uh, we like the story we're hearing. So I encourage producers, the ones listening to this show, that really think about their business in the long term and, and think about what a great story they probably have to share as well. Absolutely. And your daughter may need a raise because that, I don't know of any other ag Instagram account that has that many followers. So <laughs> maybe well, a Christmas bonus you know, is in order. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll pass that along. <laughs> Back to your operation and expanding into South America. Could you just walk us through that decision? Was that made here recently and kind of how, how that works? Well, actually, uh, be very candid about that. That's something that occurred after I did some consulting uh, short periods of times, maybe a month or two during our winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. I was working with a seed company then at that time, uh, helping them build up 
and coordinating their supply chain, uh, trying to facilitate faster delivery of seed products and the way it was produced in the fields, but getting it back to the United States in a more expedited manner that would lower their cost of production. So I spent about five years doing that, working throughout Chile, uh, Argentina, Brazil, and uh, recognized some opportunities of how we may have even a greater impact in Argentina. So we started producing down there nearly 16 years ago now. And uh, in fact, this is going to be our 16th crop. And we started then, and I I can tell you candidly that it always hasn't been a smooth smooth, uh, journey along the way. You know, we may think we have good models in the way we run our farm here, but, you know, until you really stress test them under situations and places like Argentina that's had two to three devaluation of their currency Mm -hmm. since we started there. They have some very, uh, let's face it, poor fiscal uh, conformance in their their country. Their tax policy is high. It doesn't always go as planned. I can tell you this, give you an example. We we spend nearly 68% of our gross margin goes towards taxes. So, even though we may think we have high tax burdens here in the United States compared to what goes on in some foreign countries, it's low. And I'm not saying they're right. I, I, I'm saying that's way too much in taxes. But mm-hmm. you can understand it's it's not always easy going to another country thinking because they've got great resources, in fact, some of the best soils in the world. They do have some of the infrastructure where we're at in Argentina for, you know, making better at more end products, whether it's soybean oil, soybean meal or seed products. The reality is there's a number of hurdles. You know, there's your workforce. You have some big challenges because the level of education of the people you have to deal with in your fields most oftentimes. You have to deal with, in that case, a lack of knowledge of how to run some of these systems that we operate. So it's not as easy as it looks. You know, if we knew what we knew today, we probably wouldn't have got involved. But now that we've done it, it's, we've been down there before. We, we know what's going on there. We feel a little more comfortable, but it hasn't been an easy learning curve. I'll say that. Hmm. And, and your two primary businesses, Tom Farms and Saraserve, what what was the reason you decided to make those two separate businesses, or what's the differentiation between the two? Well, our our Saraserve business is a grain origination, storage, conditioning, and uh, transactional type of business. So we've got five locations in our immediate area here, and. We want to keep it separate from the farm because it does buy and sell some grains. But as time progresses, as we see ourselves as an integrator producing specific end-use products that's going into consumer goods, we wanted to have a separate vehicle that would be standalone from the farm that could deal with other producers, bringing some of these value-add opportunities into other producers across the Midwest and run it through that organization going on into uh, these other products. So we wanted to establish that. We did that initially, and we still believe in that, that we'll probably be integrating some uh, unique traits and technologies to producers' production plans and, and work with them on producing and meeting that, that demand that we see starting to build. Interesting. And I know I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're traveling today, but one last question here to wrap things up. As you look at the industry of agriculture, specifically American agriculture, 10 years from now, how do you think that industry looks different from the way it looks today? Well, I guess to answer that, I think we're going to see continued use of science and whether it's over on the biological side of our business to our data side of our business. I think you're going to see those those two forces continually move together and transition 
the way we run our farms. I think we're going to probably see continued consolidation on the production side. Believe me, I can go back to my grassroots days when my parents were 120-acre sharecrop farmers, and uh, I embrace those days. Those The childhood that I got to live through and enjoy and the responsibility I was taught by my parents and under those very lean, uh, a very lean lifestyle, very humble lifestyle is something that I hold closely to my heart. But at the same time, I know that agriculture and farming is a business. It's in my heart. It's in my life every day. But we are going to continue to see changes occur driven by forces outside of our control. So I think you're going to see some different structures evolve more collaboration between producers. We've already seen the consolidation that's taken place on our supplier side. You know, let's face it, we have the Dow-DuPont merger that's taken place. We have the Bayer acquisition of Monsanto that has yet to be approved, but will likely be one company at some point in time. We see BASF out there. And of course, China Chem buying Syngenta. So we've only got four companies over there we're, we're dealing with today that handle a lot of the, the seed and the chemistry. I think to work with those companies, we're going to have to have some ability on our side to have a little leverage with them in those relationships. And I think you're going to see continued consolidation on the crop sector, and that's going to change us a little bit. But again, I think if we can be proactive in the way we view it and informing those relationships, it will be beneficial to the family farmer. Great. Well, Kip, thank you so much for taking the time. And whether it's in the Secretary of Agriculture role or or in another role, I, I sure hope we uh, get to look to you for some leadership here in the in the coming administration. So thank you again for, for taking the time for me today. Well, I thank you for your time. I thank you for uh, your advocacy for the industry and uh, especially having the platform where you're at broadcasting to so many people. So again, keep up the great work and agriculture counts on people like you and companies like yours to get the message out. So thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Kip Tom of Tom Farms. Certainly exciting for me to have somebody of that caliber on my little podcast, people who could potentially be making decisions that will affect the entire industry of agriculture here in the U.S. and really globally. We're such a major player in the global market. So very exciting, and, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Also coming up this weekend is the Christmas holiday, so I want to say Merry Christmas for myself and everybody at AgGrad on the Future of Agriculture podcast. Very grateful to spend this time with family. In fact, you might hear my daughter's iPad playing in the background right now because she's sitting in here. The best part about agriculture to me has always been the people, and I appreciate getting to spend time with each one of these guests and to hear from you. If you know of anybody that you think we should interview on the Future of Agriculture podcast, just let me know on Twitter, at Tim Hamrich. Merry Christmas. Take care. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hamrich. Visit aggrad.com. That's A-G. GRAD.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.